Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. And welcome in to the newest edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. And it just so happens to be the first edition that we are doing here in the regular season. So MLB season has kicked off. My favorite team is just quickly settling into, seems like right where they belong. Uh, unfortunately, Matt's team record-wise is the same, but because of the division, they may be faring a little bit better just in terms of the rankings overall. But nonetheless, the season has started. I've already gotten screwed on player props. I have my awesome fantasy teams not doing well. So I'm glad to say I am glad the regular season is here. Super excited. So I'm Colby Conway. With me, as always, is Matt Sells on Twitter, at The Sells Man. So, Matt, how is everything going for you, my friend? Uh, about the same. I was glad to see the start from Mackenzie Gore uh, on Sunday for the Nats. I was not happy to see the start from Josiah Gray on Saturday for the Nats. Uh, something's not working there. He thought he had something figured out in spring training, but apparently that's against double-A hitters. So, um you know, I'm not expecting much from the Nats this year, obviously, just hoping to see improvement with uh, some of our young guys there. And if anybody on my fantasy team wants to hit home runs other than Aaron Judge, that would be mighty helpful. Um, you know, Trey Turner, come on, man. It's like, just, just how the cookie crumbles. Yeah, yeah. But the big no, thing it's is... early. It's early. Don't be dropping exactly. anybody because they didn't hit a home run in the first four days. Like, we're, we're saying this tongue-in-cheek, right? It's a marathon. Everybody should be where they're, you know, where we hope them to be at the end of the season. Yep, absolutely. And just there's it's there's no need to overreact right now. I'm all for improving your team, but, you know, you got to take some things with stride. We're three days in or four days in, depending when you're listening to, maybe even five days in. You know, there's a lot's going to happen. So let's not overreact. Let's kind of take it in stride. You mentioned that you were excited for the McKenzie Gore start. I am right there with you. Excited to see how good he looks. But I can tell you one team that isn't happy with some of the starters. That's got to be the Mets. They just continue. There is something with that jersey that just leads to unfortunate injury. So Justin Verlander, the latest Mets arm to go to the IL. The Terrace Majors popped up again. So it sounds like, based on the report, that – He's going to be reevaluated in about a week or so from when the injury happened, but he's going to continue throwing. So interesting that there's not a full shutdown. My first thought is maybe it's because now, as I say this out loud, it, you can take it the other way with a double-edged sword, maybe because he's older that he kind of has a better idea of what to do. And he just 
does, maybe it's happened before per se and he can just handle it better. It's just really weird to say, yeah, they're older, so we're going to get them back sooner. Typically it doesn't work that way. But what do you think is going to happen here with Verlander? Like there's no real concrete like timeline. It seems like once he gets reevaluated, we'll have a better idea. But the fact that he's still throwing was something that caught me off guard at first. Agreed. And the report I saw said he'd be throwing with moderate intensity, which – Made me chuckle a little bit because it's Verlander, right? When does he ever do anything not <laughs> intense? Um, but yeah, that was interesting to me because the Braves, um, it was the Braves guy, right, that went down with the same. No, uh, McKenzie with Cleveland. Oh, Tristan McKenzie, sorry, yes, with Cleveland. Uh, there's been so many pitchers injured that I, I can't keep <laughs> keep them straight. But the fact that he shut down for almost two months. And yet Verlander is going to keep throwing. I mean, I guess there, there are different grades of this because it is a muscle issue. Um, but at this point, I find it hard to believe that the Mets know what they're doing to keep people healthy. Because um, like last year, Scherzer went down with an injury he's never had in his career. And we're talking like a 15-year major league career. The guy's never strained a left oblique. And yet he did it in his first year with the Mets, right? Um, now you get Verlander coming off a year after Tommy John wins the American League Cy Young Award and then goes to the Mets and doesn't even make a start. He was put on the I.L. before opening day. It's not like he was their opening day starter. So, uh, I, I don't know. Hopefully he's back sooner rather than later for all of you who, who drafted him. But it was very interesting to me that they said he would keep throwing, even though it was serious enough to put him on the 15-day. Oh, yeah. yeah, and the, the, they said all that's clear now is that the right hand is going to miss at least two starts. Doctors have cleared him to continue throwing. So, yeah, I mean, my guess, I mean, I think we're both in agreement that he'll be back before McKenzie at this point, just yeah. by the mere fact he's throwing the ball still. I mean, McKenzie, they said basically two months. And yeah, for, so I guess that, was, that that timeline never got that far. Right. So I guess ultimately the correct answer to Tyler McGill or David Peterson was both. Yeah, although I think Peterson has a longer run in the rotation. Than, I I do too. But yeah. at least a couple yeah. starts. McGill will at least be in there for a couple starts. Because Quintana's still out for at least three months. Right? Yeah, he's so. gone. Uh, while we're talking about the Mets, quick thing. One one word to describe Kode Sanga's opening start. Uh, I don't know. I mean, did we really? Like, what did we expect from him in his first in his first start? Like, what did you go in? thinking he was going to do more of innings two through five than inning one. I mean, now I know this is not, this is not our same old Marlins team. Like, like looking at the strikeout props against them. Like I was fortunate opening day for sure to get the six, like they've added a ton of contact to that lineup. So like yeah. I mean, picking against the Marlins. Yeah. Like last year, the cheat code was Marlins strikeouts. Now it seems yeah. this year that's going to be Detroit. <laughs> that's what it seems like it's going to be for 2023, but Senga looked good after inning one. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, but here's the thing. There's so I would consider Sanga to be a power pitcher, right? Like he's got velo. He's his stuff is is pretty nasty. It's not like he's your normal, you know, low nineties third starter, right? So I will say that typically with those guys, you can get to them in the first inning, right? That's always been the thing with Scherzer. Is like if you can jump on him in the first inning. You can get him reeling a little bit. If you let him settle in, then he becomes next to impossible to hit, which is what happened as Senga continued. I'm sure Mets fans are reeling in the fact that Senga had a far better outing than Jacob DeGrom did 
in his first one with the Rangers, which was let's put it this way: opening day to have Degrom and Nola on the mound, and both guys don't even make it out of the fourth, and it's like ten total runs on the board. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Degrom and Nola games are typically not easy overs. No, not not usually. You're talking about two dudes who, I mean, one of them has two Cy Youngs, and the other one is seemingly vying for a Cy Young basically every year. So uh, that's that's tough company. But like, look, it was a good first dip into the majors for Senga. Um, I think it came against a reasonably fair lineup for him to face. It's not like it was, you know, the Braves who were expected to be one of the better offenses in the NL. It's not like it was the Crosstown Yanks or, you know, whatnot. The Marlins offense is better, but (laughs) when you're where they were last year, better is always good, but not yet to the top of the board. So I, I think it was fair. We'll see how he reacts to shorter days off in the, in the majors. And also the fact that there's not Justin Verlander anchoring in front of him with Scherzer, um, so we'll see how we'll see how that goes as it continues. But I think it was a solid enough. Yep, I'm right there with you. I think it was nasty after inning one. Definitely much improved there. But another Cy Young winner went down. Robbie Ray is heading to the injured list. Actually, he's already on the injured list with a left flexor strain. Flexor mm-hmm. forearm. Don't like hearing those words. Um, obviously, didn't look normal. In the start, then the news came out. Makes a little sense. So what do we make of Robbie Ray here? If you're in a league that does not have IL spots, can you hold Ray for the time being? So the timeline, according to the Mariners, the last one I've seen is that he should be back in four to six weeks, right? They're going to shut him down for two weeks, and they're going to reevaluate. And then, you know, try to get him back four to six weeks. Because after that, he'll need a couple of starts to, you know, build back up, get the feel of things. Um, we'll, we'll see. I am comforted in the fact that it's a grade one strain. Um, so it seems like the more mild variety, even though it's, you know, a strain that we don't often like to hear flexor, um, is not usually, uh, good for a pitcher. So I'm holding him for right now, right? Like that's the only thing you can do. Cause let's say he comes back healthy and he's fine. You just let a really good pitcher go. And it's not like there's anybody pressing on the now. Maybe if you're in a shallow league, you know, in terms of like maybe eight or ten teams, and maybe there are some other dudes. But I'm still holding Robbie Ray in that scenario. Yep, I'm right there with you too. There was a question in Discord asking about, it, and ultimately it was like, if you have the fortune to hold on to him, I am holding on to him because yeah. as we've seen, it's very rare. Throughout the season, you'll get a couple guys in free agency that you can pick up off the waiver wire that pop off. When Ray comes back, I I do have my issues with Ray in terms of him on the mound and stuff, and what sometimes he does a little bit too much and other stuff he doesn't do enough of. Right. But he he's too much of an impact arm to just let go. If if it was past four to six weeks, you could start selling me on it. But I think this four to six, I'm with you. I think he got a hold. I just right. think it's not like there's now. a Spencer Strider coming off the the free agent list. There's no guarantee of that. That is that is for sure. Um, what about in Atlanta with Max Freed hamstring on opening day? Uh, when I watched it, it didn't look like anything. Now, that's Correct. from me saying that sitting on my couch. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm sitting on yeah. my couch with my legs propped up and a beer in my hand, so I'm not exactly in the most active position myself. 
but I'm watching. I'm like, I didn't notice anything. And then he was just kind of slow after moving away from first base. So not enough is really, or not a lot has really come out about him per se. This seems like maybe the two week, maybe only three. I don't think he'll be on there too long. I don't think he'll miss more than a handful of starts. Correct. Yeah. I watched it live. Um, and to be honest, the replay, they had to go find the replay to see why the trainer had come out because watching in real time, you couldn't really see like, I was watching the Nats broadcast, and they were saying, well, maybe he stopped and started because the first baseman kind of baked whether he was going to throw it or take it to the bag or whatever, but that wasn't the case. And then the only real hint was that you could see him wince when his back was to home plate at first base. You could see him wince a little bit, but it wasn't like a noticeable, like he never reached down to his hammy to grab it like you normally see, right? So um, they did say he's going to wind up on the I.L., it's probably tr like there's basically no way around it, right? You can't just have them skip a start and eat a roster spot for 10 days to let it heal. So I, I would be shocked if he's on there for much more than the minimum, unless it's a worse hamstring thing than we are assuming. But then I would have assumed the reaction would have been more severe, right? Yep. Yep. I'm right there with you. What about Joe Musgrove worked up to, uh, about five innings here, so it seems like he's on his way back. Is he shaping up to be? When the news came out with the with the the toe issue that he had, he fell quite a bit in drafts. Is Musgrove shaping up to end up being the steal at basically how far he fell in certain drafts? Given that it seems like if he's up to five innings, his return can't be too terribly far away. Yeah, I mean, you know, he he broke the toe in late February, right? And they mm -hmm. put a four to six week timeline on him at that point. Six weeks puts it to mid-April, right? And if he's already up to five innings, it's basically what you expect from your starter for the first start of the year coming off of spring training and whatever. So I think we're going to miss maybe one more start from Joe Musgrove. Um, maybe. And then you'll get him back. And assuming he stays healthy the rest of the way, then, um, then yeah, I, I don't see any anything. By the way, here's a there's a tweet that I'm just now seeing from the San Diego um, sports radio station where they're interviewing Musgrove, who says he's hoping for an April sixth return date. Okay, which well, would be three days from when we're recording this on Monday, April third. So April sixth would be three days for so Thursday. So maybe one trip through the rotation you miss. Make him quite the steal. Cause I know like in, he felt yeah. a good bit, like in the TGFBI draft I did, he slept a lot. Yeah. Cause of that I mean, news. It's going to be, I don't see why, um, why it would be much longer than that. If he's already up to, and, and by the way, I mean, obviously, it's not a full MLB game, but he threw five innings on 71 pitches, which is reasonably efficient. Yeah, and I mean, say this. Say he's targeting that April 6th return. Let's just say April 6th, he ends up throwing one more, like, you know, whether it's a minor league or in a rehab center or something. Say five days from there, we're only talking April 11th. Like, we're close. Musgrove's coming back soon. Like, right. He's he's turning out early on to be quite a yeah, quite a draft steal. Perfectly honest, I'd rather he skips the April 6th start because it's against Atlanta. 
<laughs> so if you have him, you're hoping that he avoids um, that weekend series just because I'd rather get the better uh, offensive matchup from him to be perfectly to be perfectly honest if we have a uh, fantasy uh viewpoint of it him pitching against Atlanta I'd rather I'd, I'd rather hope for an easier offense for the first for the first time out 5 days from that April 6th or I should say actually 5 games so if we're saying that's going to be Musgrove so we'll say the 1 2 3 4 5 1 it'd be the Mets that following time back yeah, so. so it doesn't get any easier okay. now but but you'll take him back at that point you might as well just get him in there out there and rough now so there you go you, you got a little easier right yeah good one <laughs> Good one. Uh, Anthony Rendon held out uh, over the weekend with a knee issue. Um, also tried to fight a fan in the stands. Yes. Um, the knee should be considered minor. Shouldn't really anything be too worried about. If he does get suspended for that, I mean, what do you think it ends up being? Three games, he appeals it and gets it down to one or two. Like, he swiped. He didn't really punch, but, it, I mean, it's kind of, you know, neither is great in terms of a player to a fan. I can't see him getting more than a handful of games, if at all. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. It, I saw that. I thought it was a bad. It was bad form. But you also can't just allow these fans to, you know, run roughshod over, over the players. At some point, they have to have some decency and treat people, you know, like humans. Um, now, I will say on behalf of the fan, it was probably a bad move to i know nobody wants to get hit but it was a bad move to move and not get hit because if you really wanted to prove that you disliked anthony rendon what better way than to take a slap and then you get to sue him for money and he gets suspended for a lot longer um not encouraging violence here by any means i'm just saying that you know if the ban really wanted to prove you know, to teach Rendon a lesson, he would have just stood there and taken the slap. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't think it'll be too long of a suspension. I'll have to see. I know that MOB, they're not gonna, no one's going to comment on comment on it. Rendon's not going to say anything about it right now. It's just, it's going to be ho-hum. And I guess the only, you know, if, if, if he gets suspended two or three games, that's an extra two or three days to let his knee heal, I guess. I don't know. That's, maybe that's silver linings look at it. But he, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he hasn't been all that great to the start of the season, especially after a pretty impressive spring, numbers-wise. No, it was uh, people were making fun of him for missing the slap because it was another swing and miss. Oh, Rendon. Uh, by the way, this I know this is a couple days old, but apparently Boone said that the Yankees are working on a potential deal to add a pitcher. Hey, oh. you want to see if if St. Louis will take Harrison Bader back? Sure. Jordan Montgomery that the Yankees shouldn't have given up in the first place. Well, maybe maybe what they're going to do is offer Johnny Brito and Clark Schmidt trade two pitchers for one pitcher. Yeah, that'll be a Brian Cashman move. <laughs> that that'll show the league. I that'll swear show to God, league. if they include a pitching prospect in a deal for a major league pitcher, uh, Cashman better be out the door along <laughs> alongside him. Like, it's just, I know that they're hard hit by injuries at this point, but it's also comical that they made a deal for an injured defensive outfielder that they didn't need in the first place and gave up their only quality uninjured starter who didn't cost $300 million. Yep. 
it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens there with if the Yankees do make a move, what pitchers they trade for pitchers, because obviously they believe pitching is a uh, position of depth for them. So they'll be looking forward to trading from that to uh, definitely bolster their pitching staff. Just say, just imagine saying that we're going to trade our pitchers because we need pitching help to get a pitcher. Like the more you say it, the dumber it sounds. Yeah, maybe that's just me. It's just, it's just comical at this point. It is, but let's talk a little closers here. Uh, first off, if you haven't already, the closer grid or the closer chart, whatever you want to call it on Fantasy Alarm, should be bookmarked. You should have it saved. You should have the URL memorized off the top of your head. Uh, we're four days into the season, and you are going to need this thing. Like we saw, Ryan Presley didn't look good. Apparently, he's been out with an illness, so he hasn't been available. Daniel Bard is on the injured list with some anxiety issues that he's going through. So we now have Pierce Johnson, AJ Puck, Reynaldo Lopez, Texas's Will Smith, and Oakland's Danny Jimenez as closers. I mean, I understand the ninth inning is going to be fluid for many teams, but, I mean, good Lord, we're four days into the season, Matt. Four days, and I'm already in closer yeah. hell in all these leagues. Yep. Uh, I'm there with you. This is also, by the way, for the last several years, why I have decided to not necessarily punt saves, but I don't spend top dollar on guys that we all think are locked in closers because there are guys in my home league that went for five to ten dollars in a hundred dollar budget that have already lost their job like ryan presley went for like 11 bucks he may not close like i'm sure he probably gets the job back but who knows what this illness is and who knows if it's gonna be uh you know if it's just a one-time thing or if it's gonna crop up or you know what not the Daniel Bard thing? I'm not sure he was really being counted on for. I mean, I know he was a pretty good closer last year, but um, you know, this is this is why I just go for the the next guy who could be up because you never know. Like Dylan Floro doesn't seem like he's the closer in Miami. We kind of expected him to do that, and you know. I don't feel like we really know very much about most of these teams back into their bullpen at this point. So I have a feeling this is going to become a recurring segment where we have to tell you who the flavor of the week is in the bullpen. I think so too. I, I would say, I think my general advice would be if you are going to look to get the Cleveland closer, I would be getting Pierce Johnson. I would not be taking a ride on the Dilson, the Nelson Lamette train. Nope. I just, that is, there, there, are, there are many things in life that say volatility and that'll tell you volatility and you should know it. There are very few things that absolutely from the mountaintops scream volatility and Lamette in high leverage innings, particularly the ninth inning when your fantasy team depends on it, is one of those few things to my eye. So I'm looking at Pierce Johnson. I think he's the guy that's going to get, I won't say he's going to get all of the save opportunities while Bard's out. But for Colorado's sake, he should get the majority of them. However, as we all know, Colorado will Colorado, whatever that ends up meaning in the ninth inning. But for me, Johnson's the preferred target of mine, if available, um, out there in your leagues. Correct. Correct. I'm with you on that. I also like um, grabbing Will Smith while he's available. Yeah. I do too. There was a there was a question in our Discord about it, which if you're not in the Discord, make sure you get in there. I believe it's promo code Howard. 
I think is what I remember seeing from the tweets. Um, that gets you in the Discord and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure that's right. It's all over Twitter. Go check out uh, Howard's Twitter at Roto Buzz Guy, and the the deal should be mentioned there. But yeah, one now thing I, I do want to talk about the White Sox though with Ronaldo Lopez. Okay, one like, thing I will mention quick with Smith though. We'll have to see. I do think he's in the mix for save opportunities, but this one he got the save. Two of the three hitters were lefties. Yeah. And the, and the eighth inning was two righties. So that could – I'm not saying that that's the only reason he got it, but that is something that I want to monitor moving forward to see if they are truly playing matchups or if Smith is the guy. That's fair. But that's what fair. about what about in Chicago? Because I was very big on Ronaldo Lopez coming into the year. Yeah. How do you think it shapes out when Liam Hendricks is back? Hendricks. Is all reports out of Chicago or that he might be back in May? Hendricks. Yeah, sorry. What did I say? You said Hendricks. Yeah, you said when Hendricks comes back, how are things oh, going to okay. play out? Sorry, yeah, I yeah. Thought, no, you're you're right, and I'll I be right. I had, it's going I, to be I Hendricks. I said his last name wrong. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think Hendricks, once he returns, it, it might be – I don't remember who we talked about it a week or two ago, but it may be, you know – he starts with like a seventh inning appearance right. and then maybe a ninth inning in a game where they're up or down seven. And then after that, he'll be, if he comes in, goes two innings, four strikeouts, no walks. He's there every, not every day, ninth inning guy, but every save opportunity, ninth inning guy. Right. Cause here's the thing. They did not put him on the 60 day IL. And all reports are that he's progressing well. All yeah. Things considered. That like he's progressing well, which is great news just for his health. Like I honestly comes back and closes great. I don't actually have any shares of Liam Hendricks. Um, his health is really all that matters, but he's progressing well. They expect him to be back in mid-May. So I just think if he's there and you have an IL spot or you took a shot on him, I still think there's value there for him for about half a season worth of saves and what should be a very competitive White Sox lineup. They there is enough thump and they have enough they have enough horses in the rotation that they can keep games close and they can win. Now if your league does save and holds or maybe holds its own category, even upon Hendricks's return, I do think Lopez is going to have some standalone value. I think he's going to be fine. He can miss bats and he'll get holds and stuff. You just may not get as much help as saves as you will from you know, the beginning of the season until Hendricks's impending return. Yeah. By the way, speaking of the White Sox, what did you think of Cease's first start? Um, let me look back. Let me look back at the numbers. Let me see what the he had. It was a very good start uh, to the game, and then I feel like he ran out of gas. Six and a third, two hits, no walks, ten strikeouts. So. I mean, strikeouts are good. Maybe all the the bust articles I put him in this offseason stuff didn't really uh, fare too well with him if you happen to see him. So maybe that could be part of it. I mean, it's the thing with Cease is the strikeouts are pretty much always going to be there. Even if he goes four and a third with seven walks, six earned runs, he's probably going to strike out eight batters doing so. So the strikeouts are always going to be there. He's going to have to harness the command. He did in this first start. It's going to take more than a couple of starts for me to rescind that. I still don't think he matches what he does. I think that first start was impressive, but he is not matching what he did last year. I'm still right. very I also that. think that he was not as efficient as he could have been. Now, he pitched 86 pitches, right, which in sixth and a third is, is impressive. But watching the game, there was a lot of deep counts to get those strikeouts. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if he's willing to give up a little bit more contact and trust his defense, which is pretty good, 
defensively. They have a pretty good defensive team. Um, I think he might be a little bit more efficient um, with, with his approach. So all of those who, you know, tried the victory lap one start from Cease. If you look back last year, there was a lot of really good one-off starts. And then he blew up like two starts later with like seven walks, right? So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with the control. Maybe, maybe that's great. But my other concern is like, is Ethan Kath working with Dylan C so much that the rest of the starters suck? Because right. that seemed to be the case last year. Is like Dylan C's looked awesome, but Giolito was terrible. Lance Lynn was terrible. They had to DFA Dallas Keuchel because he could not you know, be saved for his life. Ronaldo Lopez failed so much that they're now trying him as a one-inning reliever. So that's my only thing is, like, is Cease's upside taking away from the rest of that rotation? Yep. Something something to watch for sure. So early season trends that we're seeing here, Matt, at the beginning. So first off, we're four days, or we've completed four days into the season. Obviously, there was a whole bunch of talk this offseason about the new rules, what everything like that was going to look like. So four games through, we've cut off over 45 minutes uh, in games. I lied. I lied. About 30. I cut off 30 minutes. My math's off. Thir- about 30 or so minutes off. Batting average is up 15 points. On base is up 15 points. Slugging is up about 18 points. Pitch clock violations less than one per game. So everybody who was worried about that affecting the game less than once. So okay take that whatever you will with that big thing is total or stolen bases almost double the attempts but the success rate is absolutely through the roof through the first four days 70 for 84 on the base paths for attempted base stealer so to me we kind of talked about this a little bit uh before we jumped on here but all of that all positive no negative in my eyes correct i am loving this we get more action and by the way those of you who are like well Okay, there's better batting average. Yeah, most of it's on singles. So it's yep. just dudes getting on base. It's not like it's a you know true th- you know three true outcome baseball like we've been subjected to for the last, I don't know, six years. Um I will say the teams are starting to get creative with the shift rules. I haven't seen anybody do the two outfield thing, but I did see the Braves put Orlando Arcia, about as physically close to the middle of second base as humanly possible during their series with the Nats, right? Like the the shortstop is not allowed to be on the left side or the right side of second base, right? Orlando Arcia was about as close to the middle of second base as you can possibly get now. So I think you'll see a fair amount of that going forward, that it won't be like as severe of a shift. But look, if we're getting games done in two and a half hours, and it's not like they're hurting for offense. How many, like, 10-run games did we see this weekend? There was a ton of offense mm-hmm. this weekend. Um, it's more enjoyable. The pitch clock, to be honest, like, when I first saw it in spring training, I was like, this is quick, right? But now that regular season is here, I feel like it's not, like – lightning fast i feel like it's just going at a proper pace right um guys on first means there's more running chances there's more rbi there's more action for the um 
you know, for, for the pitcher to worry about. And also, not to mention, by the way, if there's more singles, that means the pitch clock's in 20-second mode more often than 15-second mode. So there is that little wrinkle there. Um, I, I love it. I love what I'm seeing. Um, you know, we'll see what happens in extra innings. There's that, that ghost runner and pitch clock combined. We'll see what happens there. But I have to say, as a lifelong fan of baseball, I love what I'm seeing. Uh, there, there are plenty of people I've seen in these Twitter replies and whatnot that are like, I gave up on baseball. I'm coming back to it, and I like what I see. So growing the sport, always a good thing. Absolutely. I'm right. I'm right there with you. And it's one of those things too. We were kind of going to see like with the stolen base rules, is everybody going to start stealing now? And ultimately I think what we're going to see is the guys who are fast and who are going to run are going to continue to run, Correct. you know, guys that are slow that don't run, they're not going to run. You know what I mean? They're just not as likely to do so. Now what it does open up the door for those pitchers who couldn't hold runners on to begin with looking at you, Noah Syndergaard, you're in, you're in a world of hurt. Yeah. Because if you, because I mean, look what Corbin Carroll. I understand the guy runs like a like a two seven forty, so I understand how fast the guy is. I mean, Syndergaard doesn't stand a chance, and God no. forbid he does the the two disengagements or whatever. Once Carroll knows, in this case, I mean, you can't you can't stop it. So that's the only thing that I may want to that I may want to tweet because that happened with Acuna, right? He looked at the from what my understanding was, is yes. looked at the ump. He can't throw over, right? Nope. And Acuna is like, oh, here we go. Yeah, that I think lead got like four times larger, and there's basically nothing. Now, it's not necessarily a fully true statement to say there's nothing the pitcher could do about it. If you right. throw over for a third time, and you, you have to get pick, them, and you pick the guy off, it stays as a pickoff. However, if you don't. You just gave up a free 90 feet. The guy doesn't even have to run. It's a box. So he just gets to walk over there on his own on his own time, right? Um, so we'll see. If, I think there's a couple of wrinkles to be worked out with the pitch clock and when it starts because we did see some, some times where the pitcher took too long to come out of the bullpen or whatever and started with a 1-0 count. Um, you know, but... It is, it is what it is. So, yeah, some pitchers who don't throw over are going to be in a world of hurt. But, look, it's better for the fans, right? Like, after all, we do need some entertainment value. And just watching dudes throw over seven times because Acuna's on base or Chisholm's on base or Trey Turner's on base or Corbin Carroll's on base isn't necessarily all that fun. But I will say if they could get, like, it's not like it's two for the whole inning. It's two per bat, right? So if you throw over there, and then you get the guy out, now you've reset it. So we'll see how that plays out going forward, I guess. I talked about it earlier last year. Picking on Miami seemed to be the way to go. And looking at it this year through the first couple of games, four teams have above a 29% strikeout rate. We're looking at the Giants, the Brewers, still the Marlins, and the Tigers. In the opening four days of the season, though, the Tigers are hitting 147 with a 29.7% strikeout rate and a 15 WRC+. plus. Now, to That's their credit... Horrible. Well, yeah, it is horrible. To their credit, they did go up against McClanahan. They went up against Eflin. They went up against Springs. Okay, but I wouldn't consider Eflin to be a massive strikeout guy. No, but Springs and McClanahan, I would. Well, well yeah, Springs McClanahan is looking like one. Sure. 
but we'll see what spring maybe spring's got a few extras because he was like but this lineup right now for the for the tigers is gross i mean javi baez would strike out 40 percent of the time if you let him right and torkelson at this point has been basically a bust for a number one overall pick he can't seem to find a bat and figure out how to use it all that well um you know nick made like there are just a bunch of castoffs in detroit right now i don't know what their approach was this year i don't know if they're just waiting for some of their prospects to come up which by the way it's not like they're fully loaded with huge prospects to begin with overall i mean i'm i'm not trying to be mean to the tigers but in general if you look over their their prospect list it's not all that intimidating so i don't know what they're i, I don't know if they're just going broke they don't want to spend money what but this lineup is yeah it's going to be picked on all the time to the point where dk may be forced to to have like a fifth starter for a bad team be jacked up in price because you're going to get a bunch of free strikeouts. Yep, and against lefties in particular, and of course it was McClanahan Springs that they happened to see a left-handed reliever. More specifically, we're looking at a 36.8% strikeout rate for the Tigers with a 10 WRC plus and a 183 WOBA. Yeah, by the way, for those of you who are unsure what WRC plus is, it basically measures your ability to uh, score runs and how effective you are. Offensively, 100 is league average. And they're 10. They're 10. And at best, they're 15. Yep. That is, they're, they're going to be a fun team to pick on. Yeah. It's just, it's just sad to be perfectly like, in some ways, I feel kind of awesome because it's like redemption for AJ Hinch to have to deal with terrible offense after leading a cheating scandal. Um, but I also just feel bad for the baseball fans in Detroit, which has a rich baseball history that this is how Miggy's going out and this is what you have to put up with. Not, not ideal. No, not ideal. Now, let me ask you about this in Pittsburgh. One thing I was interested in coming into the year was what were they going to do with O'Neill Cruz and left-handers? So we've had a little bit of a, it's very small sample size, but what we've basically seen is he's going to lead off against righties, and then he's going to drop down to sixth against lefties. He's in the lineup, so that's good. So the people who were not drafting Cruz because of him not going to face lefties, even if he sucks against lefties, they're going to play him at least the first couple months of the season just to let him try to figure it out. But additionally, when they do face a lefty, the one time we've seen it so far, Cabrian Hayes moved up to the leadoff spot. So interesting what pittsburgh is doing here i still think it's wild that against a left-hander they're still gonna not bat cruise in like the top four or even five i get it he's not good against lefties at all but i really like cabrian hayes moving up to lead off against lefties because i do think at some point when they face righties they cannot have kanan smith and jigba and g man Choi hitting against him and or hitting before him in this lineup they they it's malpractice to do that Correct. I, so I don't know. I mean, you gotta like it. Hayes is that low against righties? It doesn't seem like doesn't seem like that's good for anybody, to be honest. Um, but I do like that O'Neill Cruz is still in the lineup against lefties. 
like, sure, would you like to see him in the top half of the lineup? Yeah, for fantasy purposes, you know, obviously there's more run production value higher up in a lineup. But you could just be like Jock Peterson who takes the day off against lefties. Right. Which doesn't really help anybody, you know, doesn't really help anybody for the fantasy team. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I like to see O'Neill Cruz in there. I think his issue is that he's just so damn tall. It takes a while to get everything working. And then you throw in a guy who's just going to work them just inside and outside, just going to find all of his weaknesses. So uh, whether he ever figures out how to hit lefties, I don't know. Um, but still having him in there gets you some fantasy value. And if there's any, I mean, yes, he was horrible against lefties last year. I mean, technically, I say this technically against Lodolo, he did have two singles, although I believe one was more reminiscent of like a swinging bunt. So maybe we'll throw that one out. But again, in the lineup, that's all that you can matter. And then another lineup thing that I noticed here, Spencer Steer, I believe he's in one of your deeper of the yes. deepest fantasy leagues in America. Um, I believe he is on that team. Hit mm-hmm. seventh on opening day, hit seventh in the team's third game of the year. But when a lefty went on the mound, he moved up to second. Sandwiched yeah, between Indy and way, Myers. He's also, by the way, hitting second in today's game for the Reds on Monday against the Cubs. Um, a, left, a lefty's throwing, right? I think so. Is it Smiley? Let me double check who's pitching for the Cubs today. But regardless, this is a really nice development for anybody who did draft steer. Because if you were expecting, well, he'll be in the bottom third and he'll move his way up throughout the year. We're already in the beginning of the year and he's in the top third against lefties. Like that's a big, big, big development for a guy who does have immense power. Yeah, it is Drew Smiley on the mound for the Cubs today for his first start of the year, which would be why steer is, um, is hitting second. Now, I will say... If you're in an OBP league right now, you're loving Spencer Steer even more because he's got a 417 on base percentage at the moment. Um, yes, three, four games into the season, that's a very small sample size. <laughs> but he is walking a, a pretty decent amount. He does have pop. Um, so it's a nice development. You know, would I like to see him scooch up in the lineup? against righties yeah that'd be better um, because obviously you're going to get less lefties that you're facing than righties um but in general i'm happy with the fact that he's hitting second a young third baseman he seems to be the everyday option at at this point i think they're going to let some of their younger guys season a little bit more which would make sense to me if i'm cincinnati there's no reason to force those guys up at this point for a season that you're clearly not competing. I mean, just look at the rotation. <laughs> you're not competing this year, given that rotation. Um, so, yeah, if he's for some reason available, I would go scoop him up. I doubt that he is available. But, yes, for those of us who drafted him, it's a very, very nice development. And, Matt, we'll wrap up this episode. We'll just kind of throw this over to you. What was the most impressing most impressive thing that you saw from opening day weekend or the opening weekend, I should say. Uh, There's a lot to choose from. I mean, 
The simple answer would be the Hunter Renfro catch where he basically ran the wrong route to the ball and still caught it. Um, was, re was was pretty impressive. Also impressed Shohei Otani, which then he pretended not to know Anthony Rendon when he was fighting the fan. Um, but I would say overall is the crowds, man. Those were some full ballparks. Around, like even Oakland had a really good crowd for the game, which was impressive. Now, whether they showed up to come see Otani and Trout and, you know, pick on Rendon and whatever, still bought tickets. There were still an awful lot of people in green in Oakland. So I would say the crowds in general, like Texas had a packed house for for that game. For I mean, I know it was DeGrom and whatnot, but like everywhere seemed to have a pretty – Pretty solid opening day crowd. The Nats probably not so much, but um, I would say the way the games are played out and the crowds were were pretty impressive. Yep, uh, the Renfro crowd was pretty insane for me. I think the most impressive thing I saw. I know it was against Detroit, but Shane McClanahan looks poised to win the AL Cy Young. I think I picked him in my bold predictions to to win the AL Cy Young. If I'm not mistaken, I did for sure. I know I did. Um, so yeah, McClanahan looked filthy. I can't wait for his next start against not Detroit. Um, just want to see. And then, I mean, obviously on top of that, you couldn't have asked for more from Jeffrey Springs in his first start. Like this was like the, the quintessential, what he did in spring was excellent. Can he do it in the regular season to come out and do what he did? Filthy. McClanahan still wins the Cy Young, but what Springs did against Detroit was quite impressive as well. So, yeah, I would, I would I would agree. What what was your least favorite thing about opening day weekend? Probably that the Pirates only won one game. Uh, I mean, okay, but were you expecting more? Yeah, obviously. <laughs> what kind, what kind you, of question is that? Were you hoping for more? <laughs> I mean, yeah. The answer remains. <laughs> I was hoping and expecting more. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, hold on. Okay, I got a good one. I, I know this won't change because I know by rule it's technically not the same. I am so sick of walks not counting towards total bases for player props. I am just I, I lost yeah, money on it last yeah. year. I have our, we're three days in and I've lost money on it again this year. I understand why I get it, but I don't. I just see, but to I me, can't stand the total it. bases should count if you earned it, right? Yeah, and no, they earned a walk. If you earn a walk, you earn a walk, you earn the base. Yeah, I just I I can't stand I cannot stand watching over one and a half total bases to watch somebody go one for three with a single and two walks and I lose. Because here's the other thing: it counts towards on base percentage and OPS, and everybody measures everything by OPS now, right? So why would like why are you not getting credit for the guy getting on base? Because if you take a run prop. You get the prop whether they got on first from a walk, an error, or like getting on from an error. I get not counting as a total base. I get that, yes. Right, getting on because of catcher's interference. I get that too. You know, a balk, you know, or a hit by. I, I guess hit by pitch you count because you earned it and you have the bruise to prove it. But I'm with you. Walk should count as. Um, is that maybe not a like I don't know how you differentiate an intentional walk 
for yeah. Total base. I I mean I don't have a solution for it other than just counting walks like in the total base because like I know I debated for opening day Austin Riley over one and a half total bases and I think for the article for our underdog plays of the day I'm pretty sure that's what I included he goes over two with three walks and an RBI. I don't hit that, but luckily on another site, I played fantasy points for Riley and I was able to hit it. Walks should count as total bases. I just, I'm fully in that camp. So that's the least impressive thing that I saw because it hasn't changed. I know it's not going to change either, but I'm going to complain about it nonetheless. No, that's, that, that's fair. That's fair. Um, my least favorite thing aside from the Rendon thing, because that was ugly. Um, I would say I wanted to see Josiah Gray take what he figured out in spring training and bring it north. Like, yes, it was against the Braves. I get it. They're good offense. But he he had like a 15 to 2 strikeout to walk ratio in spring training. And his stuff plus was great. And he had like a, I think it was like a 1 6 something ERA in spring training. Obviously, not very many innings against lighter, you know, sometimes split squad teams, whatever. But it seemed like whatever he figured out in spring training did not make the trip north because they just sent bombs off of Josiah Gray. Just just took him deep like every other batter. It was not, not great. Um, so hopefully he gets that sorted out because I think there's still talent there to be a frontline starter. Not an ace, but somebody in the top half of a rotation. And if he could just keep the ball in the dang park, I think he'd be I think he'd be just on track with with what he should be doing. I just, his forcing fastball, I just need to get away from it cuz it's not it's not good. It's straight as a doornail and it just gets teed off on. I did profit uh, against Josiah Gray, so I'm sorry to tell you that, but I, I and many other people profited. So I mean, he gave up three homers and like in five innings. He's got to get the home runs under control, and it's not like he's playing in a homer friendly. But like Nats Park is a very fair park. It's one of the more neutral parks in baseball, to be honest. If you look at rolling averages, um, for park factors. Uh, it's just, I don't know, Spencer Strider picked up where he left off, too. Yep, he sure did. But, Matt, that's going to put a bow on this week's episode, so give Matt a follow at the Salesman on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Colby R. Conway. Hopefully we have some exciting news with the podcast coming out for you here. Uh, in the coming days, we'll see what we can do with it there. But other than that, give us a follow on Twitter. Check out all the great seasonal and daily content here at FantasyAlarm.com. And we will see you next time with the newest edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast.